This is Thoughts on the Table by DisgracesOnTheMenu.com. Hello and welcome back to Thoughts on the Table, the audio blog on food and food culture. Paolo here again with a new guest today, Eva from Electric Blue Food. Hi Eva, good morning. Hello. <laughs> cool to talk to you. Fantastic. So, um, just for context, Eva is based in Sweden, in the middle of Sweden actually, and uh, it's still quite dark over there right now. So, Eva, where are you located exactly? I'm in Dalarna. It has this nice Latin name in English, Dalekarlia, oh. but it's like a region in the middle of Sweden. It's considered like the south of the north <laughs> or like the north of the south. <laughs> uh, it's the southernmost uh, region where you can find reindeer. Oh, and it's also the northernmost region where you can find oaks. Hmm. So it's a little bit of a like a limit area where the big north begins, but not quite yet. So right. nice place. There's still some trees. <laughs> a lot of trees. <laughs> Basically just trees. Yes. You're in the middle of a, a beautiful place. Um, so Eva is a photographer and uh, a blogger first and food blogger as well. And uh, I want to read a few um, passages from her about page because I think really uh, reflect uh, how, how she is and what she does. So she says, food makes me happy. Making food makes me happy. Being offered food makes me happy. <laughs> Most of all, I have this incurable positive attitude towards all food. My love of food equals my passion for travel. I've been able to travel a lot during my life. Growing up in a multicultural family, traveling was necessary. And then I love learning languages. I love hot drinks and the cold. So, yes, um, many things there that I also feel uh, very close to. Uh, and, and you mentioned a multicultural family. So I'm very curious. In fact, I honestly didn't know you were Italian when we started talking uh, on Instagram. I actually had no idea exactly where you were from. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about you and why? Uh, it might have been hard for me to tell. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm half Italian. Uh, so I'm part Italian, of course. And the other half is Polish. Uh, but I, I usually consider myself like a little bit more Italian just because I grew up in Italy, went to school in Italy. So mm -hmm. that's more like nationality number one uh, or rather mother tongue number one would be Italian for me. Um, but I obviously speak Polish, too. Um, mm -hmm. I learned it at home, but I never studied it. So I suck at the grammar. And that's, <laughs> that's a language that has a lot of grammar. So it's, it's very difficult. Uh, but but I, I can communicate. Absolutely. I just, I just mess up with the verbs and like uh, declinations sometimes. So it's a bit difficult. But still, uh, whoever says that Italian is difficult, try, try, try Polish. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, so yeah, that's like... I have this dual, well, citizenship and identity, obviously, because even if I'm not equally trained in speaking Polish, I, I speak it. And there are some parts of Polish culture that I embrace, uh, mm -hmm. although I just feel like I've been more shaped by Italy for right. obvious reasons, because I, I grew up there. Mm -hmm, so. Of course. But you also traveled and lived in other countries, is that right? Yes. Yeah. I, I spent six months in Norway uh, during university. And mm -hmm. that's basically what 
uh, cemented my already big love for Scandinavia. <laughs> and now I've been in Sweden for over six years. So oh, yeah. I, I made it my resolution to come back to Scandinavia after my study period was over. And I did. <laughs> and I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also during university, I like the university years, I had the opportunity to spend another six months in North America, three in Canada and three in the United States. Oh, wow. Where about? So, um, I'm in Toronto first, oh, yeah. and then in New York, and wow. a little bit in New Jersey as well. I have family there, so I figured that it was nice since I was on the other side of the pond after my internship that I did in Toronto, mm-hmm. spend some time with my relatives in the US. Right, fantastic! So, yeah. Wow, yeah, so so impressed. So many different cultures, really. Um, and uh, oh, and I forgot I lived in Poland too. Like I just of course. take it for granted. I. <laughs> Uh, but the funny thing is that I moved to Poland as an adult. Mm-hmm. So Poland was the step before Sweden. Okay. And I never really considered moving to Poland because my mom moved to Italy as a Polish woman. Like she moved to Italy herself. So I was like, I don't think I'll be the kind of person who goes back to her roots. But I did. Mm, that's <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah. But then I, then I moved out of Poland and I, I came to Sweden. So it was just temporary. But still. Uh, yeah, I think there is this thing. You want to go see where you're coming from but you don't want to go live there like permanently. No, exactly. Mm. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's true. Yeah. This is common, I think, for, for a lot of people. Uh, you sort of see it as a, maybe a retreat and uh, maybe that's not what you want to do, but certainly you want to experience it directly, uh, you know, by, by living there. You, you lived there for several years, right? Two years, just two years. slightly mm-hmm. over two years, but okay. it was a lot compared to a month, a year, which is what I was doing growing up mm, of course we would travel to poland once a year uh, for the summer holidays so so it was never long enough to and i was a kid too uh, but it was really really nice to move there for a longer time as an mm-hmm. adult uh, because you just learn a lot more about the place uh, yeah 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 definitely uh, were you in your mother's native uh, city or were you in a different town i was in the same yeah Krakow. Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah, you have your connections, yeah. your strongest connection. Yeah. And then they moved to Sweden, which is, um, you know, again, for you going back to the north, you had been uh, there before in Scandinavia. Um, but now it's, it's, your, it's your place of life. It's where you plan to be for the foreseeable future. Is that right? Yes. We bought a house last year, so this feels more permanent now. Nice. Congrats. But you never know, like life yeah, might have other plans and, and we don't know that and houses can be sold. Feels permanent, <laughs> but what's permanent? <laughs> true, true, true. So yes, um, Sweden is very dear to me uh, because the company I work for um, has an office there and we have a conference in Stockholm every year. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't have one this year. As you can imagine, we had a virtual one. But um, but yeah, so I know a little bit Stockholm and uh, I love everything about it, really. I consider really living there myself. It's a, it's a beautiful place. <laughs> yes, Stockholm is, is really, really gorgeous. Uh, I don't know if I would live there, mm-hmm. uh, but just because I think I, I, I'm fine with like smaller city yeah, yeah. life. Uh, but if I were to, to move to a big city, um, it's a nice one. <laughs> uh, but what I like is that it's not too far from where I live. It's a couple of hours by car. So mm-hmm. you, 
I mean, it's it's not completely out of reach right. when I want to feel some city life and just enjoy uh, a different environment. It's there. Mm-hmm. And I think that like when you when you get a chance to live in a very, very beautiful city, at some point you just get used to it and you stop in a way seeing yeah. all the beauty because you just get used to it. And and I'm I'm glad I don't have that with Stockholm. Mm-hmm. Instead, I every time I just step out of the train, I'm like, ah, oh, Stockholm, yes, so beautiful, and it smells like cinnamon everywhere. Ah, oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, the pastries. Oh boy, so good over there. <laughs> it's just cozy, and also the conference is in November, so um... the worst month ever. <laughs> yeah, like, November in Sweden is like the worst thing ever. Right. I wish I could afford the vacation somewhere else every year in November I know. because. It's horrible it's unbearable <laughs> but yeah, then christmas comes which is a bit nicer better. so yeah yay yeah. <laughs> it was starting to to look a bit like christmas like the, you've started to get some uh, christmas decorations uh and people put the the candle outside of uh, restaurants and stores to indicate that it's open i think and to uh to bring some warmth you know just metaphorically on the streets and uh and yeah so lovely so lovely over there Um, Yeah, but that's true. I mean, I caved in and put out my Christmas lights quite early this year. (laughs) I think a lot of people did. And I think it's like an effect of the pandemic. Mm, Everyone wants to like have lights. (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, I didn't put up the Christmas tree until the 24th of November. But on the 1st of November, I did put the lights on the windowsills. Um, And this is this is quite a nice tradition here because like it gets so dark, especially Mm. when the clocks change at the end of October, that it was already getting dark early and suddenly it's even earlier. And every day is five minutes shorter, which is insane. And the snow is not here yet because at least when everything is white with snow, uh, the light gets reflected and it feels lighter. But November is just very dark. So Mm. when you have those lights on the windows, like at least it feels cozier coming home. And when you're walking down a street, uh, even if it's not a street that has street lights, there are those lights on every window that in a way, like make it a bit nicer. (laughs) And so this is why there's this craze about having lights. They're not really Christmas lights yet, but they're lights that you want to just to light up this, this darkness. Yeah. Well, thanks for explaining that. Uh, so, so this is why this is why it's so popular here, um, and I think it really helps mm-hmm. uh, okay. because you need to see the light. Like you really miss it. And even though I'm not like so far up north, mm-hmm. I mean, over the Arctic Circle, they don't get any daylight at all yeah. <laughs> for several weeks. I don't have it that bad where I am. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's still much, much shorter, much, much more limited, the mm-hmm. amount of daylight uh, that you get uh, between November and January compared to like, Italy, even Poland. Of course, uh, of course. Sunset is around 2.30 in the afternoon, is that right? Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's um, that's so strange, in fact. Uh, and the sun is really low at noon. That's, that's the other thing. Yes, and when it's overcast, like the light is even more filtered. So it's already pretty weak. Mm. But when it's also like so diffused by all the clouds, like the light is almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. I like it's not dark now, but it's still it's very different from the summer. Um, yeah. So you're a photographer there. Um, how is that affecting you? Yeah, it's it's very difficult because I, I don't shoot with artificial light. It's mm-hmm. a choice. Uh, I, I want to use natural light. 
And that obviously means that I am much more limited in the winter. But I, I am very proud that this year I started trying to photograph also in those very dark weeks. And I've been, and I've been managing. Uh, but I need to say that like, the new house uh, I moved in uh, mm -hmm. this year is a lot brighter. And this helps. But right now I wouldn't be photographing anything. It's still too early. Like it's, it's bright, but it's not enough. Uh, so, but around 12, I can accomplish something. Mm -hmm. um, right. Or at least be happy with it. And then, of course, you need to suit the mood. Like, I wouldn't go for super bright because then if it's too bright, like a surface, then even the shadows are more visible. But if you go for something a bit moodier, mm -hmm. uh, darker, and, and so on, a little bit of shadows is not that bad. Mm, interesting. So um, I needed to adapt a bit. I feel like I'm still trying to grasp it because it's been the first year that I've been like, yes, I will not let the fact that it's December in Sweden let me down. <laughs> I'm going to try to photograph something. Yeah. But it's a bit more challenging. It is. I'm a lot more productive in the summer. Of course, of course. But, you know, these challenges, I think, are very stimulating as well. Uh, I have to say, you know, obviously, beautiful, beautiful work. There'll be a link, of course, people go check it out. Um, so I wanted to speak a little bit about blogging as well, because you are a blogger at heart. You've been blogging for a very long time. And uh, you were telling me earlier that the current website, Electric Blue Food, is actually an evolution of Electric Blue other things. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about blogging? Yeah, I I started blogging. Uh, I was still in high school when mm -hmm. I was starting to get a little bit more tech. <laughs> I had my wow, computer yeah. and stuff. Um, but um, before that, I was always writing diaries. Like I was writing on paper uh, yeah. my my thoughts, my stuff, my stories, and so on. And then I just moved to the keyboard when when it just felt more natural to do. Mm -hmm. When I started using the computer a bit more. But um, I always liked the idea of writing down your thoughts as a memory or just to, you know, as an exercise. I've always liked literature. And even though I wouldn't consider myself a writer, I mean, maybe I should because a writer is someone who writes. I've always <laughs> been writing. Yeah, it doesn't do really that. matter what you write, right? <laughs> um, so, so um, yeah, when I evolved <laughs> and I started <laughs> using the keyboard, uh, at some point, I realized that maybe I should open a blog and mm -hmm. put my thoughts out there. So, so I've had a couple of blogs, and at the beginning, I was writing in Italian, mm. and I had my my blog for my semester in Norway, right. and then I opened another one, which did not really have a lot of success. And then I was like, maybe I should switch to English. <laughs> uh, why not? Even more as an exercise, it, right. it could be good for me. Um, because the thing is, when you're talking in a language that is not your language, sometimes you just end up using the wrong word because you don't have that time to go and check. But right, if yeah. you use the wrong word in the written form, it's a bit more mm -hmm. odd. So as a language student, I thought it was a very good way to improve my skills, mm -hmm. uh, along with just being, you know, your creative outlet, which is something I've I need it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's both. And it was for me as well. I love languages. I love learning languages as well. And um, I, I strive to, to communicate in the most natural way, uh, mainly because I want uh, people to read it without any effort. You know, if there's any uh, barrier 
to coming across is going to make the experience uh, worse for the reader. I don't want that. Um, also, the podcast has been actually very useful because um, due to the editing, I end up listening to people speak um, uh, a lot more and listening to myself and the mistakes I make. So that has been uh, very useful for me to try and remove some common mistakes. As an Italian, you probably um, sympathize with me that we make uh, a few recurrent mistakes, like we don't do plurals of words sometimes. And we and we tend to use like non-existent vowels at the end of words. Yeah, that too. Words. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this, yes. uh, we yes. need to close a word with a vowel, like stopping at a consonant is the devil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but there are things that we do. Um, yeah. So I can try now and pick those up and correct them. So I think blogging is a great tool uh, for self-improvement when you're working on a language, for sure. Also, connecting with an audience, uh, an imaginary audience, because sometimes you don't know exactly who's reading, uh, but an audience, nonetheless, um, helps you think in a different way and communicate differently. I, growing up, had a diary, and I was using that a lot to, um, you know, organize my thoughts. But I think even my diary, you know, even though it was private, it was written in a, such a way that if somebody would have read it, it would have made sense to them too. So I was imagining that somebody could eventually read it. You know, it would have like details and notes that were necessary for somebody to make sense of it. So, yeah, me too. I've always imagined yeah? that my 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 great great granddaughter one day will find a box <laughs> in the storage room with all my diaries, and I wanted to give her some context. Yes, yes, exactly. Definitely. You never really just write for yourself. It's a lie. Yeah, at least for me, it was like that. But I'm sure there are people who write for themselves only. And, uh, but then they're writing for themselves like in a few years. That's true. At the very least, you write for a future self. And that's the spirit of a blogger, really. And um, I don't know what you think about this, but I feel the blogging is a bit dying right now. It's something so 2001. Is that right? I, I have the same feeling, yes. Um, and I think it's sad because I still, like, I still believe in that form of expression. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, in a literary product. Uh, but I have the feeling that we're moving too fast now mm. to, to just stick around and, and read someone's stories. Or at least the majority don't have time for that, which is mm. sad because it means that we just don't want to devote the time to just read a story. We just want to get the information we looked for mm -hmm. uh, right. like as fast as possible. And, and this is why, as a food blogger who also likes to write some stories, I, I wouldn't survive without my jump to recipe button because <laughs> I need to understand. <laughs> but I need to understand that some of my readers, like those who come back, might be those who like to read, yes. uh, like the context I build around the recipe. But there's also a lot of people who just type something into Google because mm -hmm. they want to make a dish. And Google is pointing towards my my website and this is like they come for the recipe and I need to understand that too so obviously I need to give them the recipe too um <laughs> but I'm always I'm always secretly hoping that they'll be like I'll just devote five minutes to read something about this <laughs> recipe because sometimes I write about recipe sometimes I, I, I write about like something else but mostly i try to give a context about mm -hmm. the recipe right because i think it's interesting it really can enrich uh, the experience i think absolutely you know 
One thing that I really appreciate and that I've come to appreciate in Italy because it's just so obvious, but then when you move abroad, it's not that obvious and it's a little sad. You know, when you're being served a glass of wine Mm -hmm. uh, by someone who's produced it or by someone who has close ties to the producer, Mm. like they will, like it's part of the experience to be told what grape it is and Mm -hmm. like where it's grown and like if it's been aged in a certain barrel or Mm -hmm. like if there's something special about it or like like I don't know it's it's just part of of the glass of wine there's more like I if I don't hear the story of that grape um I'm missing out on that glass Mm -hmm. of wine and this is just so natural in Italy you don't need to be faced with a specially trained sommelier to mm-hmm. hear a little bit of story about that wine. And it could be a very simple wine, but it's made with love and they will always be happy to tell you about it. <laughs> and I have the same, I have the same feeling about some recipes. Like when I am making a recipe for my guests, Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm serving it, for me, it's not enough to just say, enjoy. I would <laughs> like to say, you know what? Like this risotto is made with this kind of rice and I use this kind of broth and this kind of cheese because, you know? So yeah. I want to give the same to my readers, hoping that there are some who who are happy to read that. Of course, of course. Well, I'm, I'm finding that uh, the recipes are really um, a way to get, you know, readers Um there's a real need for recipes and uh, and people often uh, some people at least prefer to get them from bloggers rather than uh, the the main uh, you know websites uh, um, yeah and I think it's flattering yeah. I am always so flattered when people choose me over Jamie Oliver <laughs> like Jamie Oliver's recipe like of the same like dish is mm-hmm. maybe number one in Google and I'm number three and people end up online I'm like wow you. Yeah, 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 yeah. They want they want to read it from you, um, but but yes. So please, uh, readers, um, you can get much more about this recipe. Yeah, maybe jump to recipe for now, cook the dish, enjoy it. Yes, and then when you're sitting there <laughs> and enjoying that risotto, go back and read the story of that grain of rice. <laughs> you know, Eva, we should put a button at the bottom of the recipe saying, "Now go back and read the blog post." Yeah. <laughs> Take me back to the story. <laughs> yes, jump yes. to story. <laughs> jump to story and and try to get the context for this dish because it's really important. Actually, you're right. And uh, yeah, I've been uh, in Barolo. You're from Piedmont, so um, and yes, when you go for a wine tasting there, you're served this glass, and the excuse is that you need to let it breathe a little bit. So there's time yeah. for a story. Yeah, uh, and yeah. you want to drink it, but you can't drink it just yet. You have to kind of listen to the story first. Instead, I've done the same thing in Canada. We have our own Napa Valley in Canada. It's called the Okanagan Valley, and uh, there's winemakers there. In what province? It's a. Uh, it's in British Columbia. Ah, okay. It's so on the other side. Okay. On the other side, yes, which is where I live. I live in Vancouver, but we had a, a trip to, to the Okanagan, and it's not quite the same. Of course, the wines can be interesting, but um, there isn't the same level of wine culture. Obviously, you can't compare to Barolo, where wine has been made forever. Uh, so, yes, what happens there is that um, there's really a, a very streamlined way of um, uh, tasting wine. You get in... You do the tasting, then you go to the store if you want to purchase anything, and you leave. There's really hardly any word exchanged, uh, but not the same. Not the same in Piedmont for sure. It's a bit sad. It is, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 
Uh, you know where I experienced something that was very similar to the Italian experience, but again, it's a lot more alcohol in it. Uh, the distilleries in Ireland, uh, oh. but I paid a little higher price to go into master classes, mm. uh, so I was I was getting um, much more context. But I really liked it. And again, whiskey is not something that you can just down bottoms up <laughs> doesn't work especially not when they when they give you like uh, 15 year old single malts that are only like you, you know you can't even afford to buy a bottle but you get a chance to, to taste. taste them and you mm. really want to you, you really want to taste them mm-hmm. um, like ireland has been making whiskeys for as long as Piemonte has been making wine. Of so, course. I mean, when it's so rooted in the culture mm-hmm. of a place, um, you just you just get a broader story. Uh, so, who knows? Maybe even like uh, in Canadian productions, we'll, we'll get there when, when there will be more stories to tell. Maybe it's not just the time yet for the storytelling. Yes, maybe not enough storytelling time. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to finish this introduction of you and your work. Um, have you speak a little bit about some of the content on, on your on your blog as a, as a teaser for the readers? Um, so do you want to talk about one recipe at all? I, I have a recipe that is very dear to me. And for some reason, it's also doing very well. Mm. Uh, and it's my chicken liver recipe. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I think it's extremely interesting. Uh, it's one of my most popular recipes, uh, which is odd because it's not <laughs> the most common food. And yeah. it, even like regular meat eaters, not everyone loves liver. Oh, yeah. So it, I, I have the feeling it's extremely niche. And I never wrote it thinking traffic because <laughs> I never really expected that like a lot of people would read it. Mm-hmm. That's one of those recipes that I wrote with the heart, which is like blogging 101. First lesson, never write for yourself. Write what people want to find uh, because you want to provide recipes that people want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like, yeah, sometimes you just need to write for yourself too. And that was yeah. exactly the case with that recipe. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's actually the wrong advice because really, if you did that, uh, you'll be just joining the bandwagon of all the, the content that is similar. Uh, I think he, you said it, niche and uh, specific is what brings in uh, clicks. So again, congratulations on that. So let's talk some more about your recipe. Yeah, this was a favorite growing up. And I was only eating it in Poland. So mm. like growing up, I was spending every August of my life in Poland. And every August, I was getting chicken livers, fried in butter with mm. onion. Like, and oh, I loved yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not something like it's, it's so weird because like it's, I guess, with some food, especially like with liver, um, it's acquired taste. Like mm-hmm. it's not a beginner friendly food to no. appreciate. But for some reason, I, I enjoyed it since childhood. And my grandma was a master in making this dish. And again, there's no skill needed because you just dredge your livers in flour and fry them in butter. Like that's as simple <laughs> as that. You don't yeah. even put salt. Salt gets added at the end. Mm-hmm. And this is why I loved it because I felt like I was part of the dish because she, was, she would plate it for me and she'd be like, now you choose how much salt you want. And I would always go, quite, quite big on the salt yes <laughs> so yeah. 
but but I loved it and I love the fact that like the salt then since you add it at the end it's the first thing that lands onto your tongue Mm -hmm. and then when you just start chewing you get all the flavors and I've always loved butter and like there's there's a quite a strong uh, butter flavor in this dish Mm -hmm. and and I just remember that I I really liked it and it was something that my mom would never make in Italy like we rarely ate liver Mm -hmm. And so it was something that I was longing to get from my grandma when I met her every year. So, so this stuck with me. It's special for me. And when, when, I, when I opened my food blog, I was like, yeah, maybe I should write about this. Because I, I don't know, like, as I said, at the beginning, I wasn't really caring about what people want to read. Like the first years uh, were very experimental. I was just trying to find my voice and mm-hmm. my style and so on. So, so when I made this recipe, I, I just decided to write it because I wanted to, to have it out there, share it with the world. And, and I wanted my grandma passed away oh. and I just wanted her to, to live in that specific recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time I make it, I, I just feel my grandma in the kitchen because it like that peculiar smell that livers have with the butter like that is caramelizing and those onions that are also caramelizing in the butter. Like it's very, very peculiar. Mm-hmm. And, and like I just associate it to my grandma. So that recipe resonates a lot with me for a very personal reason. And for some reason, there's a lot of people who land on it. Yeah. And, and I love it that I'm sharing my grandma's special <laughs> with the world. It's amazing. Yeah, she'd be proud. She'd be proud for sure. I hope so. She yeah. wasn't really great with computers. So I don't really <laughs> know if she would have understood it, although she did try to have an email to communicate with me. Oh, great. Awesome. She got WhatsApp, but she, she didn't know how to use it, but she had it. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, you yeah, were yeah. lucky she would answer the phone. But yeah. <laughs> but awesome. yeah, so she, she lives on in the chicken liver recipe. And I think it's cool it's just so cool because i wasn't expecting that it would get some traction that but apparently other people around the world are appreciating this recipe it's really cool it's a it's a poor dish she's like from um, cucina povera in italian Mm. we call it cucina povera because again you don't want to waste any parts of the of the chicken and uh we actually have a similar dish in lombardy uh fegatini uh Mm. called cipolle and uh, yeah, my grandmother used to make it, and I used to like it absolutely. It's uh, it's it's a grandma thing. Yummy. It's a grandma thing, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. And um, and so it is a Polish dish, isn't it? I guess it's like a little bit everywhere where chicken mm. is eaten. Like as you said, you don't want to waste anything. So yeah. and also like liver is a very good source of iron. So mm-hmm. I guess it, it was it was a thing to give it to children just to yeah supplement. Mm. yeah yeah interesting Mm. Uh, Eva we are running out of time for this episode Uh, thank you so much Eva for your time and for uh, opening up about you about uh, your fantastic blog and about blogging for me as an Italian super fascinating and emotional to connect with you and your story Um, and uh, and, yeah looking forward to seeing what else is coming uh, your way and uh, I wish you all the best for your work and for your blog 
Thank you. It's it's been a pleasure, and I'm I'm happy we finally got to do this. Yes, I've been looking forward to this, and I was very very much out of my comfort zone. So <laughs> maybe in the future, uh, if we will ever meet in person, I would like to invite you. And I will not make you chicken livers because you don't eat meat, but I'll make you something else. I'll make you my Polish grandma's cake. Oh. Uh, <laughs> If it's okay with cake, of course. I will share that with <laughs> you uh, because yeah. I feel much more comfortable when I'm making food for someone rather than just doing a podcast. But I think this was a good experience for me too. So thank you very much for this opportunity. Oh, fantastic. And we'll see uh, how it turns out. <laughs> I noticed you've embraced it, which I, I really appreciate. And thanks for, for being a guest. Yeah, it wasn't that bad, wasn't it? <laughs> Ah, no, it was fine. I, I could continue, actually. Do we have to stop? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We will continue soon. Yeah, um, I'll get in touch with you in the new year and we will plan another episode. Yes, looking forward to that. Fantastic. Have a great day. Enjoy some sunlight that now should be out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I should there. be able to photograph something. We shall see. <laughs> I'm optimistic. <laughs> Talk soon, Eva. Un abraccio. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.